This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem to our evening Bible study. We are very close to finishing uh, the last words of Moses, our study in the book of Deuteronomy. This is study number 54. There you go. We have actually been doing this for more than a year. Um, it has just finished Passover, Pesach, and the festival of Easter. So for those that celebrated, I hope it was a blessed time, inspirational, and that you are prepared to live the resurrection into the coming year. Let's, uh, let's pray and let's acknowledge that God is present by his spirit. Father in heaven, we uh, glorify the resurrection. We praise you that not only did you send your son, but you raised your son. And, uh, and now we have a living king, a Messiah who rules and reigns. And for that, we are truly grateful, who shared our humanity, who shared our struggles, who shared our life. And, uh, and, and for that, we are also truly grateful. We pray for tonight's study that um, your spirit will continue to inspire us as we examine your words, which are always inspirational. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. All right. So um, it was a couple of weeks ago because of Pesach. Hope you all had an enjoyable time. And um, so we, we wrestled with the last part of uh, Deuteronomy 32, which is the uh, song of Moses. So here are, oh, hang on. I know what I forgot to do. I forgot to put it in the chat. Okay, one PDF coming into the chat. There you go. Everyone got that? All right, so that is the, um, the page, which will be up online for those that are listening. And reading the summary from two weeks ago. The final song of Moses foretells a disastrous future for Israel, one of idolatry, violence, and dispersion. Not a particularly welcoming thought for those who are about to engage in the conquest of Canaan. The song is a national prophetic warning which does not have to come to pass should Israel heed its words. Israel's behavior will elicit emotions of jealousy and anger from God. Jealousy and anger are not sins in and of themselves. They are authentic feelings that God himself can also feel, which is an interesting thought. The Israelites were expected to memorize this song in an attempt to avoid the calamities that it included. The song includes positive prophetic promises as well as negative ones. Despite God declaring the people to be a perverse nation and a people without sense, verse 28, he will also have compassion on them in the future and vindicate them against their enemies, delivering them once more. The word used in verse 36 is from the verb lenachem, nacham, meaning comfort or console. And when used in its hif'il form, usually means relent. This word indicates that God would possibly change his mind, 
close quote, at some point in the future, perhaps in relation to a change of heart from the people of Israel. Most modern Christians have a difficult time imagining that God could possibly change his mind. However, in context of the ancient world and ancient Israel, God was unpredictable, close quote, from a human point of view. Somehow, the actions of God are in a relationship to the actions of man. When Nineveh repented, God relented. It is not that God changed his mind. Rather, he changed his behavior in relationship to the behavior of Nineveh. In terms of predictability, then, you do not know how God is going to act until you see how man has acted. This is the very nature of prophecy, which informs you of some future event dependent on present-day behavior. So there's a difference between apocalypse or revelation and prophecy. Apocalypse or revelation tells you the things that are going to happen. Prophecy tells you what's going to happen if you don't change your current behavior. Do you see the difference? Okay, prophecy is a warning. The Babylonians are coming. Repent. What happens if I repent? Well, then God will figure out what to do with the Babylonians. But if you don't repent, the Babylonians are coming. So as we have mentioned in previous studies and summaries, this prophetic warning was so powerful and important that it was afforded its own page separate from the rest of the scroll of Deuteronomy. Okay, Deuteronomy 32 had its own page in both the Dead Sea Scrolls and in the temple. Your behavior could affect God's emotions and his subsequent actions. So choose to act wisely. The last line of the Song of Moses, verse 43, has unfortunately become corrupted in the Masoretic text, with most translations defaulting to the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint versions. Hope that doesn't scare anybody. Okay. What does that mean? Is that... The Masoretic text, the, the text that we normally translate the Bible from, once it gets to verse 43, no one has a clue what it means. So they all leap to the other versions of the Bible, Septuagint and Dead Sea Scrolls, and translate it using that. Most honest commentaries will acknowledge the issue with the Masoretic text. So if you look at the footnote, they'll all tell you what they're doing, if they're a good, honest translation. Now, the song ends, this is verse 43, song ends with universal triumph in which the nations of the world, that is the Goyim, the Gentiles, join in the redemption with rejoicing for what the Lord has done. Paul quotes the Septuagint version in Romans 15.10, where Paul has a long section of quotes from the Hebrew Bible to demonstrate that God has always intended that the Gentiles would also praise him. The song is recited by Moses to all the people of Israel. 
A special mention of the presence of Joshua, the son of Nun, is noted, again indicating his rising importance in the conquest ahead. Moses then confirms, sorry, God then confirms to Moses of his impending death, and he is allowed the opportunity to ascend Mount Nebo to view the promised land. The last act of Moses at age 120 is to climb a mountain. Once again, a mention of the reason for Moses' inability to enter Canaan is given. Perhaps this frequency is another prophetic warning for us, particularly for the leadership of the community. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, it's a rough summary of the last song of Moses. And now we move into chapter 33, which is the blessing of Moses. So he has a song and a blessing, which completes what we know as the Torah. And um, so I'll read from an ESV, chapter 33, and, uh, and we'll see how far we get. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and adorned from Sair upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with the 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. And when Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob, thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun. When the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. And this he said to Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. And of Levi he said, Give to Levi your Thuman and your Urim, to your godly one, whom you tested at Massah, with whom you quarreled at the daughters of Merivah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands, Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, it is said, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, blessed by the Lord be his land with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that couches beneath with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favour of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph and on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. They are, are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. Zebulon, he said, rejoice, Zebulon, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. 
They shall call peoples to their mountain. They shall offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the sea and the hidden treasures of the sand. And of Gad, he said. Blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself, for there a commander's portion was reserved. And he came with the heads of the people. With Israel he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. And of Naphtali, he said, of Naphtali, sated with favor, the full of the blessing of the Lord, possesses the lake and the south. And of Asher, he said, most blessed be the sons of Asher. Let him be the favor of his brothers. Let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze, and as your days, so shall your strength be. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help, the sword of your triumph, your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. All right, so that's the final blessing that Israel gives to the people of Israel. Moses gives to the people of Israel, and... Uh, on an initial surface reading, is there anything there that jumps out or anything that you notice? Are all the tribes mentioned? Anyone? Is there a tribe no, that's... Simeon, yeah, Simeon is not mentioned. Simeon's not mentioned. Okay, that's a good one. Anything there that jumps out at anybody? I do. Dan is the lion and not Judah. Mm, that's a good one. Hadn't noticed that one before. Yeah. Good one, ben, uh, Bernardo. Mexico chimed in there and said and noted, Dan is the lion, not Judah, which is interesting. Gad, right? Sorry, I made him. Gad. Gad is oh. the lion and then Dan is a lion's whelp. Oh, yeah, lion's whelp. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so two, two tribes get the lion motif. Judah does not, which is interesting. I liked uh, I, I, uh, Asher, which is up in the north, which is exactly where Mordecai lives. Mordecai lives in the territory of Asher, up in, um, uh, where do you live, Mordecai? Naharia. And um, it says uh, his foot is dipped in oil. I happened to meet um, an American guy about 20 years ago when I first came to Israel, and he was running around trying to find oil up north because it said that Asher um, dips his foot in oil, except that in Hebrew the, the word oil is shemen, which means olive oil, the or not <laughs> neft, okay, which is the oil that you want to put in your car, okay? So slight difference, okay? Means that when you when you want to um, do things according to prophecy, check the Hebrew out first, will you? Okay, because uh, you might get into some trouble. All right. So, 
let's have a look at, uh, at this text. Okay, I'll ask a question to start off. Does everybody um, think that Moses wrote this? They Most people that, probably say yes. Okay, but what would you say, Yvonne? Um, well, that he 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 uh, he spoke it. Maybe there was a redactor. The um, Deuteronomy, the the whole Torah, first five books, shows evidence of a redactor. That's already true. For example, Abraham travelled from Dan to Beersheba. What's the problem with that sentence in Genesis? Dan hadn't been born yet. talking about it. This yeah. is not Abraham's prayer. And here, verse 5, you can see that someone is praising Moshe. Yes. Moshe is a humble guy. He wouldn't praise him that this is Yeshua who is writing. Yes, most likely. Yeah. That's the, that's the Jewish tradition is that the final, the final chapter and, and a bit, bit of the song uh, were actually recorded down by Joshua, okay, who's mentioned in 32 as being being right next to Moses when he's getting ready to ascend uh, up to Mount uh, Nebo and get and get a look at the promised land. And so large portions of the text are actually in third person, which um, means it's, it's really more like an eyewitness is, is writing it as opposed to somebody like Moses dictating it um, to somebody else. Would it, would it be more just the, um, just the oral tradition? Through Moses? Sure. Um, but either way, whether it's oral tradition, which would have been started by the people underneath Moses, which is, of course, Joshua. Joshua and then the elders of the Zakanim and then eventually the Sanhedrin and uh, all the judges, the Sanhedrin, etc., etc. Right, so that's so why they would attribute it to him, though. Of course they attributed it to him. The whole, the whole Torah is attributed to him, exactly. even though it also shows signs of a redactor. Right. I mean, obviously, Moshe wasn't there at creation, so he obviously had to get that information from somebody ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he's also, he's also himself is redacting a, a, a previous text. And, um, and that also explains why we have texts like Jubilees and Enoch and others which give you variant readings of Genesis Exodus is that um, when they're hearing the oral stories and they're putting them down, they write them in a certain certain way. All right. So looking at uh, the beginning of 30, 31, this is the blessing. So this is the bracha that Moshe is going to give. He's the Ish Elohim, the man of God. Um, and, uh, and he blesses the people as they're about to go in. He's already warned them. He's already given them a national song. Uh, he's done an incredible amount to try and um, uh, shape the way people interpret Torah and uh, and focus on the tabernacle that they're about to set before, up. Here. Before we go there, I mean, what do you guys think about the verse 2? He says, Seir, and he says, Mount Paran. So what are they? Does anybody have an idea for this? Well, there are three mountains mentioned there. And also in English, translation is wrong. That's, we talked about it with Aaron. Because in Hebrew, it says he came from Sinai. But in English, it says he came from the south. Right? In English. 
Some translations say south and some translations say Sinai, depending on the version. Okay, so does anybody have an idea about the Param and Yvonne? Maybe you know? <laughs> well, is Seir is on the northeast and Paran is on the north, my little footnote says. Yeah, well, what's the importance of it, you know? So there are, there are three mountains mentioned, and um, which of course leads any exegesis, especially Jewish exegesis, to start asking, why are we naming these three mountains? What's the point? And uh, so they delve into the idea. What, yeah, anyone I mean, know what happened at Mount yeah. Seir or Mount Paran? Anything? If not, go for it, Mordecai. Yeah. So because God first offered the children of Eshau the Torah on Mount Seir, before he gave the Torah to Israelis, he asked the two nations. This, this is the first one. And on Mount Param, God went and offered the Torah to the children of Ishmael. And they, both of them had rejected. They said, oh, no, there are many the commandments. We don't take it. You know, you give it to freaking Jews. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so, oral Torah. That's the tradition, but it's also the oral Torah. Like a, a Jew, a proper Jew should should obey the Torah and the oral Torah. If you don't want to be called Samaritan, you have to obey both of them. Or Karim, right? They don't obey. So this is the tradition. It says God, before he came to Sinai, the mountain of God, he went to those nations who were living right there and tell them, you know, I got a book. If you are interested in, name your price. If you're not, I'm going to the Jews who are on their ways. <laughs> Nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a Jewish exegesis that um, seeks to um, make sure that the Gentiles are not excluded because one way of reading the, the Bible would say, oh, my gosh, God chose the Jews, completely ignored Gentiles, and isn't that, isn't that horrible? We don't want to believe in him. So Jewish exegesis finds lots of ways to say, no, come on, hang on. Um, God loves Gentiles. And so there's this great oral tradition um, at Mount Sayyid. Who, who gets it? Who gets it at Mount Sayyid? Eshaw, children of Eshaw. Uh, Esau. Esau, yeah, Esau. Esau okay, yeah. so Jacob and Esau. Es obviously, Esau is the firstborn, so you can't ignore him. So he gets first shot. He says no. Who else gets it at Mount Paran? The, the Arabs, the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites. So Ishmael, firstborn from Abraham, can't ignore mm -hmm. him. He gets a shot. And, of course, both of them say, as Mordecai says, uh, give it, give it to the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really want, uh, wish that I was there when God offered Ishmaelites the Torah. You know, can you imagine like they are just sitting right there? Wah, wah, wah. And God says, like, "Hey, I got a book." You probably say, "What's he talking about?" <laughs> I don't know. I like them, by the way. I have nothing against them, but. It, it, it would be funny to see the nations right there, you know. Yeah, no, we're having fun. But um, uh, during the week, Mordecai spends his time um, teaching Turks. So uh, he has nothing against... Uh, uh, Nobody, uh, yeah. The former, the former Muslims. He's uh, got some very interesting stories. Maybe we'll share them one day. Okay, so God is giving his, his book, not just to Israel, but... To other people, and these these mountains are mentioned. 
Then you get this image that he came with the 10,000 of his holy ones. Okay. So um, some translations, I think, just say myriads of angels. Is that right? Is anybody? From. Some say from, like a footnote for with. He came from myriads of holy ones. I don't know. Yep. This is, this is uh, the Jewish tradition. Well, actually, not a Jewish tradition. It's Jewish exegesis from a real passage in the Bible um, that says that when God obviously came to Mount Sinai from heaven, he wasn't alone. Okay? And he came with, with his legions. One of God's name is Adonai Tzavaoth, God the commander of the heavenly armies. I mean, that leads all kinds of questions. One would be, if he's so powerful, why does he need armies? Um, but he does, and he enjoys that, that title. And, uh, and it also brings in lots of exegesis, just like Moti's been sharing, that when God came down, he wasn't alone. There were angels. And uh, how many angels? Anyone have a guess? There's a really cool number that ends up in Jewish tradition. I don't know if it's in the Zohar or whether it's um, uh, in, the, in the Talmud. 600,000. Why? One for each family of Israel. Yeah, each male. Each male, sorry, each male, yeah. So everybody gets their own personal angel. Like we often say that our children have guardian angels. You know, obviously in, you know, in the Christian tradition, only kids get angels. And when they get to turn 16, the angels leave, um, you know. Um, that or they have yeah, they have like some drunken party and then they run away. Um, but in Jewish tradition, no, everyone gets one. And uh, they hang around and uh, they do all kinds of things, like try to protect you, try and warn you, uh, defend you against the enemy, sometimes look like you um, and take your place, um, which explains why when um, in some, in some uh, stories, when, when some of our loved ones die, we have visions of them appearing you know, um, you know, like somebody be sleeping and then they'll go, I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw my mother at the edge of the bed. And then I then I got a phone call and got told that she died. And I was just, you know, and these kinds of stories. And you see it in the book of Acts. Peter is uh, released from prison, um, even though the disciples were praying for his release. When he actually goes to visit the house, they open the door and then immediately close it on him again and promptly say, oh, no, it's his ghost. And uh, you think, oh, how, how would they conclude that? Because they just didn't kind of believe that Peter could have gotten put in prison and they thought that the thing standing in front of them was actually the angelic uh, being that represents, represents him. It also explains why in the, in the, in the um, book of Galatians, Paul says that the Torah was given to us by angels. And, um, and, and that, that harkens into a Jewish tradition that when God came down, he came down with his angels. They actually physically did all the, the discourse, not God himself. And Paul is reflecting a Jewish exegetical tradition at the time. Okay. Do you, do you know the verse for that? 
Off the top of my head, no, but I will definitely put it in the footnotes. Because actually Hebrews 1.14 has a similar idea to what you were speaking about a minute ago. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's the only verse I know that talks about their job or role kind of thing, like you were describing. Hebrews 1.14. Okay, so Acts 7.53 talks about the law being given by angels, but there is one in Galatians. There is one by Paul, which I can't see right now. Okay, but I'm sure we'll find that uh, in, in the footnotes. Okay, so verse 2. He loves his people, all the holy ones were in his hands. They followed you their steps, receiving direction from you. Moses, uh, so that was verse 3, sorry. Um, so he loved his people and all his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. So there are two major uh the, the, that those, that's a parallelism where two themes follow each other. One is love, God loves his people, and the other is he gives them instruction. So love and instruction go hand in hand. So if you love someone, oh, Andrew found it, Galatians 3.19. That's the passage in Galatians where Paul mentions that the law, the Torah, is mediated to us through angels, which is not in the actual text in, in Exodus, but is here in the song, or sorry, the blessing of Moses. Okay? Okay, it's an exegetical tradition. So in, within the blessing, if you love someone, you teach them. Okay, God loves his people, so he doesn't just leave them abandoned to walk around the earth and know nothing. Rather, he delights because of his love to instruct. So what should that do for us? How should that affect our behavior? If we love our children, what should we do with them? Instruct them, yeah. Correct. If we love our brothers and sisters, what should we do with them? If we love our country, if we love our families, yeah. yes? Okay. We, should, we should seek to instruct. And uh, I guess that's a great calling for anyone is to be a teacher. Although let's also remember they're held to a, a, an account in the epistles. Okay. When your children say to you, what shall, what do you mean by this service? It is the Lord's Passover. That's such a, yep. we always, yeah. So important. Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Um, verse four. Moses commanded us a Torah, a law. This is a possession for the assembly of Jacob. So this is where um, the first time where you start getting uh, Moshe in the third person, which, as, as uh, Mordecai has mentioned, most likely means it's actually from the hand of Joshua, and that's okay. That doesn't mean it's not Bible or anything. That, uh, it doesn't mean Moses didn't say it just means that when it's coming time to actually physically write the darn thing down, um, it's being redacted by, um, by some other hands. So uh, we get a Torah, and its initial possession is, of course, who? Israel. Yeah. Now, 
that's a treasure. And I think sometimes we fail to appreciate um, the blessing and gravity of that event. That God so loved the world, you've got to instruct them, but he initially put the Torah, his instructions, in the hands of the people of Jacob. And as Paul says, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That call is still there for Israel to maintain and hold the Torah and to share it with the nations. Mm -hmm. It's a debate as to you know, whether they're doing a good job or not, but that's not up to us. The point is we have received it and it is also us to also share it. And we happen to have a couple of Jewish believers in our midst. Okay, That includes our little rabbi friend who has a calling on his life to also share that Torah with the world. Okay, Thus the Lord becomes king. Now, this is a king in Jeshurun. Again, this is one of the... Deuteronomy is one of the very few places where Israel is called that. It's a very interesting name. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It means the upright one. Although from their song, that national song that he gave them, it doesn't look like they're going to do a very good job being the upright one, but that is their name anyway. Okay? run. God is a king. How did he become king? Why is he a king? And what does this king do? Hey, guys, um, monarchy is the only government that's actually listed in the Bible. Okay, there you go. And God save the queen, huh? Yalla, let's sing it. Yeah, there you go. God save the queen. Yeah. <laughs> but when the king of Israel, like as Moses says in Deuteronomy, in this book we've studied it, when the king first comes to power, what is his job? What's the first thing he has to do when he ascends the throne? He has to write the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's, <laughs> he's got to write the Torah. You're right, Yvonne. And, um, and isn't that interesting? Yeah, the, that Moses commands a law. This is in the possession of the assembly. And now the Lord becomes king. Because how God does become king. He's always been king. But it's also in connection with the Torah. It's also in connection with his instructions. You can say God is king, absolutely. But God has to do something that also makes him king, and that is give and teach the Torah, okay, which he himself did when he first got his people. Okay, when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together, that is at Mount Sinai. That's when he's gathered everyone and he gives his so as well as a bit of a blessing, it, it also continues to give a little bit of the sacred history uh, of the Jewish people, which has been very a strong theme in this entire entire book, the, the retelling of the sacred history of God. Now we get into the blessings of all the different tribes, bar Simeon. And no, no one really has a good reason why Simeon's not there. There's, there's commentaries on it. Everybody's got, a, got, a, got a, a, a verse as to why they say he's not there, but none of the answers really are satisfactory. Not really. We, uh, we, just, we say something, but, but the, you, no one really has, has a clue, okay? That's just, and that's a good, honest answer. So Reuven's first because he is firstborn, okay? 
and he doesn't get very much. He only gets two. He gets a, he gets one line. Poor little guy. Okay, um, didn't do so well. Um, but it, but it's I guess it's okay. He'll live and not die. Well, that's nice. <laughs> um, but his numbers are going to be few. Oh well. Okay. Interesting, um, Aaron, about Reuben because uh, I was comparing the blessings in Genesis. Yeah. Like the blessing of Deuteronomy and and uh, Reuben he's castigated in in uh, in, um, in Genesis. Yes, he is. He's not, he's not castigated in, in Deuteronomy. He just it's just about tribal survival. So <clears throat> he's got a better a little bit better of a light in, in Deuteronomy than he does in yep. the blessings. It, it's yeah. interesting that out of the the list of the sons, it's true. Reuven, uh, Reuben, Reuven is first. And uh, he he fails as the head head of the of the the sons the firstborn. He does not protect Joseph, so he loses the opportunity that to to usher in the Messiah. The next two are who Simeon and Levi. And what's their big sin? Oh, they, they wipe out him. Shechem. <laughs> so we can't we can't have Mashiach coming from them, although Levi re- repents and ends up getting uh, the priesthood. The fourth son is Yehuda, and he gets the Mashiach. And you, and um, and you go, well, why him? Out of out of all sons, you know, why why that guy? And uh, and he actually comes from the mother of Leah. Mm-hmm. Not Rachel, not Rachel, even though we got her tomb just sitting not too far away from us here in Bethlehem. You know, we all love to go and pray at Rachel's tomb. No one likes to go pray at Leah's tomb, which is a shame because she kind of gets the, to be the forgotten girl. But she's the one that actually gives the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? God always chooses the people whom you probably don't expect, the people who don't seem to be doing so well. Um, but uh, uh, Judah ends up coming good. He does his job and uh, ends up getting a reward. Reuven, he is the firstborn, so his blessing is a um, life uh, just not as, as abundant as you probably would would like. And um, what territory did he end up getting? Do you know? He got the uh, Jordan. Well, as you know, I know, but if I keep giving the answers, then, you know, that's why I uh, listen, you know, like, you guys better speak, you know, if you don't know, (laughs) ask, this is for you, not for us, Aaron and I know it, you know, we live here, we study it every day, this is our job, please participate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, he gets gets the, the East Bank, everybody always hears about the West Bank, the Jordan River is an incredible river, it's only got one bank. East Bank of the Jordan River, and uh, Reuven, he 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 decided he liked that land because he because it had a nice grazing land for his cattle, but it wasn't part of the Promised Land, right? And uh, and so, what happens to these guys? What happens to Reuven, Gad, and Chetzi Menashe, the half tribe of Manasseh? Does anyone know? They're always the first ones to get wiped out. Yes. Anyone, any invaders from the north, they're the first ones to get knocked out. Yeah, isn't that a shame? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they decided to live there. <laughs> they could have gone all the way. They could have gone. They could have traversed and gotten into the to the right side of the Jordan at the time. So, yep. Yep. Okay. So after Reuven, you get Judah. Now Yehuda is the tribe we all know and love because we all love the lion of the tribe of Judah. But in these blessings of Moshe, it's not that big. So what does he get? His blessing is, hear, Lord, the voice of Yehuda, and bring him to his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. So... Um, what uh, what sort of images appear from that blessing? Well, he gets a really lengthy blessing in Genesis forty nine. Sure. Uh, and he's like the you know in the spotlight, and here it's just like okay, just one little paltry verse. You know, he can stand up against his adversary. So it's just. It gives the idea that he's very him. He and um, and Reuben are very vulnerable. That's the idea. Okay. Okay. So he picks up some vulnerability. Who's protecting him then? Okay. With your hands, contend for him. Who's that? The Lord. Yes. Yeah. So there's something. There's some sort of protection that. Uh, enshrouds Judah. Okay. Does um does uh, the Talmud have any discussion on, on this blessing at all, Mordecai? Are we on verse eight? Sorry, I went to the restroom. So. Seven, sorry, seven, Judah. Hmm. Yes, what is the question? It does, uh, is there any exegesis, uh, Jewish exegesis, on the blessing for Judah? You know, not not that much. Okay, I just muted everybody because yeah. we got some great background noise there. Not quite sure who that was from. Um, all right. No, he says his hands here. His his hands will do battle for him. You know. Yep. And. This is talking about the bottle. This is the first thing that ex- explains here. And the Judah's voice, I think you already explained that, right? Yep. Okay. So Simeon is also kind of under them. Did, did we say that as well? Uh, no. The, um, the, the, one of the most common reasons for why Simeon is not mentioned is simply because the territory allotted to Simeon was so small and was yes. surrounded by Judah that he gets lumped in together. Now, that could be true, yeah. but let's all be honest, that's actually just an interpretation on a missing text. Yeah. All you can actually physically say honestly is there is no blessing for Simeon and I don't know why. And... <laughs> um, uh, we, we can create some really good stories, and, the, and we can, and people do. They go, oh, 
You know, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Antichrist. Let's talk about, um, you know, Besheva. Let's talk about whatever you want to talk about, about his territory, um, about the sin that he did of, of Shechem and how he didn't repent and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, yeah, we don't really know. However, what you can get from this blessing is that the Lord will defend Judah against his enemies. It's a nice blessing. Sure. And here we see clearly that God does not forget. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what happened Bamitbar in the wilderness is not for, forgotten by God, you know. When it comes to the blessings, God remembers. And then he blesses them in order to what they have done back in the wilderness. So here's a very interesting message for us. You know, whatever we do now is count. <laughs> so watch out, guys. Yeah. You might not get the good blessing at the end. Yeah, but it's interesting. In, in, um, in Genesis 49, the Levites, they were rebuked with their brother Simeon. But in Deuteronomy, he gets like a su substantial, long blessing. Praise yeah. for his loyalty. So well, Moshe was a, Le a Levi, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah. But Levi's did not uh, join other tribes in the wilderness. You know, they always stayed obedient, you know. You know, that's that's the very reason for them. Not because you, you, Moshe was a Levi or Levi's need to be staying that way because they are good guys, the family, you know. Mm -hmm. It didn't exist at that time. So every, everyone was equal, equal in the eyes of God. And they were given, you know, in exchange of what they have done in the in the past. So yes, so Levi um, uh, uh, had been faithful during the um, rebellion uh, of the golden cow. Yeah. yeah. Even though Aaron, who's a Levite, made the darn thing. But anyway, that's an interesting exegetical um, discussion, <laughs> and maybe one day we'll go into it because there's a lot of midrashim about why Aaron would build build such a darn thing. Um, anyway, and the Levites uh, help. So here they get a really big blessing. And um, they don't have a portion of land. That is true. But what do they get? Look at this. Verse 8. Give to Levi your Thumim and your Urim to your godly one. Ooh, what the heck is that? The priesthood. What is the scoop with those, eh, Aaron? Those were like something that were used back then that would be like direct words from God or something, eh? Oh. Yep. Yeah. Does anyone have a picture that they can show up on quickly on, on screen? Anyone go on? Because you got the um, these are these um, interesting lights that uh, would appear on the um, breastplate of the high priest. Urim mm -hmm. is the word for lights. Thumim, uh, temum, tumim. I don't know quite sure what that means. Nama, what's the? There's no, there's no good picture for it. Unfortunately. Okay. Anyway, the logo of the tribe of Levi. You know, every single tribe got a symbol and the flag. So that's yep. the basically the logo of the Levites. It's that's basically true. a phrase that uh, symbolizes something to look for as a uh, first uh, example, like to, you know, as a as an origin of the source of knowing things about it and to learn from. Yep, it was a um, it was a it was a communication. Literally, it's a communications device. 
Um, what we're supposed to learn about this, I can't tell you. Um, Moses has not mentioned the, the Thummim and Urim at all in this text so far. Only on his last final blessing does he get, uh, does he actually mention it. Okay. Um, so wasn't it like a piece of material or something? One of them was, oh, that's an ephod or something. If ephod is the, is, the, is the thing you wear, and on the ephod are your stones, and they glow. And these are the logos, but I don't know if everybody can see it. And the Levi's is right there on the corner. So we wanted to have this to share the screen, but maybe on Monday I will show it, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. Well, we don't know where they are now. If someone had that question to ask, you don't need to ask. We don't know where they are. So Indiana Jones will find it in his next movie, I swear. Well, Joseph okay. Smith claimed to find it, but I don't know. Oh, I, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He, and he did not, yeah. Well, he's a good guy. He found every single thing that we are missing. You know what, a guy? You just tell yeah. him and he finds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, what is the oral tradition to the Urim, um, Mordecai? When you and I were discussing some of these verses, uh, you made a mention of it. Do you know what, remember what it was? Um, I think I just mentioned the logo. Uh, no, the, it was the Shekhinah. Yeah, Shekhinah, sorry, yes. The, the, the divine presence of God. Correct. And which they still believe that the Kohanim and the Leviim have it still, somehow. I mean, so that's a divine presence. That with that power, the Kohanim and Leviim were able to serve at the tabernacle and at the temple. So Yeah, they had a, a special <laughs> gift of the Spirit. Kind of an ordination, we can call it, I think, right? Like an ordination okay. through the blessing. Yeah. Hey, is that why they, they use the peyot? Like you're, you you want to gather those sparks from the Shahina? Is that part of the, um, is that part of what they say? Yeah? Depends on you, who you ask. Uh-huh. Hey, I've got some peyot here. I'm a, a female version of some peyot here. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Okay, so don't, don't cut it. It's illegal. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the next couple of verses basically reflect how um, uh, Levi was tested during um, the golden cow, uh, calf incident, and, and they, instead of going with mother, father, brother, sister, they went with the Lord. That's kind of the inyan, kind of the uh, idea of what they're saying, who said to his mother or father, I guard them not and disowned his brothers, ignored his children. Now, all of that on a surface level would say, oh, these are horrible people. I mean, how would you ignore your family? What in context, it's relating to um, God has told us not to do this horrible idolatry, and I will not even uh, uh, go with my family against the Lord. I will, I will actually go with the Lord. Uh, so they observed your word, kept the covenant, and because of that, they have the opportunity in verse 10 to teach Jacob. So uh, remember, Moshe has written the Torah, handed it to the Levites, and part of their job is to teach. And uh, so they will instruct. And in verse 10, they will also put incense before you, okay, because obviously they're good little Catholics and that's what they do, um, except that we have to remember that incense is not a Catholic tradition. It's ordained by the Lord. And interestingly, 
Malachi 1 verse 11 says that one day incense will be offered all over the world before the Lord. Yes, now, yes. people can go, oh, that only means prayer, but that's taking it allegorically. Literally, it means incense. Yeah, and it's true too, though. But I mean, it's true. I think somewhere that the prayers of God's people are are compared to uh, incense too. I think they are compared. Yes, but it, yeah. uh, that doesn't mean that incense isn't incense. It yeah, means yeah, that yeah. It is like also in the Malachi correct. application, it's probably a different verse. Yeah, for sure. Correct. That's right. And so, what Mordecai? That's that's how we teach you during the uh, you know Turks. You need to raise your hand in order to speak. Anyways, so speaking of verse ten. We, the Levim and the Kohanim, are no longer able to fulfill this commandment because of the rabbinic Judaism. So they don't come to the Kohen or the Levi anymore. Instead of that, they go to their rabbis, which is not nice, you know. So hopefully when the Judaism is restored back to its biblical foundations, we will have this thing back. Ah, yes. So does everyone understand what Mordecai has just said? <laughs> What the heck is he talking about? No, 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 no. Yeah. The, yes, uh, uh, Bernardo says amen. Yes, we agree with Bernardo. Does everyone understand what Mordecai's just said? Here is a blessing that says, Levi, you have a job. You need to teach the people. The rabbis come along and say, we don't care whether you're a Levite or anything. We're going to teach. Yeah. And um, they got the power. They After got the, the second power. temple. You know, after the destruction of the Second Temple, they created this sect called the Rabbinic Judaism, and we all follow it now. I mean, I don't follow it. But I used to follow it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So bless the Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hands. So um, they're asking the Lord to bless Levi. Uh, his work, his avodah, is both worship and work. So while they didn't get um, land, that's true, they did get cities. So they did actually have industry and they were successful at it. Archaeologically, we have found them and you can go visit them. If you're ever in Israel, you can actually visit Levitical cities. And you can see that they lived and sustained themselves while they waited that when they could go to the temple and perform their, their duties. Um, and, uh, and, and here the blessing is that they would be blessed in those actions, both, both in the worship of the Lord in the temple correct instruction and success in business. And that's okay. The Bible is not against success in business. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have more, you have more to share. That's all. Okay. Benjamin. Okay. He doesn't get much. He's unfortunately a bit like Reuben and, and Judah. They only get like a little sentence, uh, perhaps because they're just such a little tribe. The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. Well, that's an interesting sentence. Beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. What does that mean? <laughs> Any idea? Apart from so Mordecai? Is, is, probably... is the word for beloved David? Yep. That's what it says, the David of the Lord. Where is it? Yes, Yadid. Uh, it's uh, the uh, same Shorish. Yeah. And Yadid means uh, not just beloved, but like also like really good friend. 
friend. Yeah, yes, friend. Yeah, Didi. Didi. Yeah, but it comes from it's from the same shorash, same root. Okay. Um, you see how, how how wise Aaron is. So I'm so glad to have him as my teacher. He most of the time knows better than me. Baruch Hashem, you know he, he got this blessing, and I we have this blessing to learn from him. Baruch Hashem. Uh, and I and I paid him to say that. But, uh, <laughs> Five shekels, man. You need to pay me. I mean, I'm really cheap. Okay. So Benjamin, unfortunately, doesn't do so well in the book of Judges. Okay. And almost gets wiped out. But here, it does say that he's beloved. Isn't he? He's a good friend, um, which is interesting. In my version, Aaron, it says that the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. So I don't know. That's the last phrase there. For he shields them all day long. And the one okay. the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. We, we better send you a good version. <laughs> what, does, what does your version say again? It's different than that? It says yeah. Yedidi and then Yudhei Vavhe. So it's it's like friend of Yahweh. Of, of friend, of, friend of the Lord. Blair, yeah, yeah, whatever. No, I'm sorry. I'm on the last phrase in the sentence. Oh, the high God surrounds him all day long, okay, yeah. and dwells between his shoulders. What yeah, does what that does mean? that mean? Like dwells between the shoulders? Does anybody have an idea for that? Like what do you mean the shoulders and that, the head or something? No well, God's ho- hugging him. God's holding him, eh? The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. It's yeah. like a comforting spot, right? Is it? Here's the thing. The temple stood on the territory of Benjamin, on the highest point of their territory. If you look at it, you know, with a drone or something, you see the Temple Mount is the highest point of Benjamin's territory. It looks like the head of their body. You know, here is Benjamin, Benjamin, and here's Benjamin, and here's the temple. And God promises Benjamin that his land, or specifically part of his land, where his, you know, uh, presence will dwell. Here's the Temple Mount, and that's the highest point, his rosh, you know, his head. And the head is between our shoulders, so God dwells between the shoulders. I'm, I was so am- amazed when I learned this, because you see how uh, true the Torah is. You know, Moshe got no idea about this land. He, he didn't go and measure them, you know. The, when he was in Midan, he didn't just say, oh, let me go and talk with the locals, like, which point is lower, which point is, you know, Blower, but here you see that the God truly is speaking. So he knows better than us. This is not a man-made thing, you know. So the beloved is the temple. Yeah. Okay. The beloved is also um, God's love for Benjamin. And who ends up being the first king of Israel? Oh. Saul from the tribe of? Benjamin. Benjamin, yes. So not only does he get the temple, he also gets the first king, which is interesting. So short blessing, but 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 powerful. Okay, so Yosef, Joseph, okay, he gets a blessing, which is interesting because he ends up also having two kids, and we never really often think of the tribe of Yosef. We often think of the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, but but the blessing is Joseph's. And who's actually um, not there? Yes, okay. Joseph's only just bones being carried away from Egypt. Uh, the tribes are Ephraim and Manasseh, but the blessing is actually to their father. 
blessed, uh, blessed by the Lord be his land and the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath. Okay. Um, the choicest fruits of the sun, the rich yield of the months, the finest produce of the ancient mountains, the abundance of everlasting hills, the best gifts of the earth and its fullness, the favor of him who dwells in the bush. The first, the first couple of verses all talk about the blessing that is attributed to territory, to land. And which tribe gets the most land, I hear you ask? It's a very good question. It's, yes, it's Menashe. Menashe, he, he ends up with large chunks of the stuff, okay, and very fertile stuff too. He gets, he gets a lot of the good stuff. He gets the, uh, the valleys. Um, he gets the fertile plains. He gets the great farmland on the other side of the Jordan as well. So he gets promised land and non-promised land. He's doing really well. And Ephraim is also very fertile, and that's where Shiloh is. Okay, So yes. he also has a, a great blessing. Well, if you look at verse 13, that's what you just read, right? Yep. So we have a kind of the same uh, words in Genesis 49, 25. Okay. God says, you know, from the God of your father, he will help you. And with the Almighty, he will bless you with the blessings of the heavens above and the blessings of the deep lying below, if you look at it. So it basically means the waters, you know, that, you know, which, which lie in the, uh, in the earth, like a sweet water. Yep. But it's very interesting that we have kind of exactly the same verses in Genesis 49, 25. So I just wanted to mention it. Yes. He also gets an interesting um, uh, battle blessing, the, the verse 17. He is the firstborn bull. He has majesty, his horns, the horns of a wild ox, and with them he will gore the peoples to the ends of the earth. So... Um, he, he also, not only does he get um, a blessing of the earth, but he's also um, blessed as a warrior, which is probably not in, in, a, in a, for those of us who might be pacifists, of which I am not, but I'm sure there are some people who hear or listening who are, uh, we might not like blessings that come with, with uh, uh, warrior blessings, but there are there. They are there in, in the text, okay? And um, regarding I'm sorry, Karen, go ahead. Yeah, go right ahead, Yvonne. I was going to say, regarding like um, Deuteronomy 33, it really talks highly of Joseph, the two tribes. And like Judah gets it definitely gets diminished. It could, it, so it's kind of like a northern perspective, whereas, um, you know, in Genesis, Judah has a, pro, the pro, you know, it's more prominent, could it, it has a southern perspective. So again, who could the redactor be? Yes. Yeah, I, I, that's right. If you go, if you look at uh, commentaries, they 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 go down that line. They go, who's redacting, and um, uh, uh, um, depending on the perspective. And also, um, yes, Aaron, um, shalom. Yeah, hey. you see I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Um, Ephraim became so big at the end of the day in the Israel that. Um, the whole of Israel is became a synonym of Ephraim. Many times in the scripture, um, they want to talk about Israel. This, they use the word Ephraim, especially in the prophets. The prophet will use the word Ephraim to represent the whole of Israel. 
at, uh, at so many instances. Um, because the tribe of Israel, uh, I was thinking that they had the bigger land, um, but you said it's uh, Manasseh. Uh, I always thought they had the, the biggest of land because they absorb the other tribes, that's the whole country, um, especially the Northern Kingdom was referred to as Ephraim in many times. You know, we talked about Ephraim and Judah, Judah referring to the Southern Kingdom. Yes. Uh, yeah. While yeah. Manasseh had the largest territory, okay, which is um, according to, to maps, most, not all, most of the kings of northern Israel were Ephraimites. And um, not quite sure why, how it worked out that way. Um, but but not, not all kings were Ephraimites. I'm not going to say that. But the majority were. So it was very easy to say that, oh, my gosh, somehow Ephraim made, somehow got a grasp of the monarchy and uh, of the northern, of the north. And it was very easy, for, especially for prophets, to look at the, the, the head, the, the monarchy, which was also where Shiloh was. They also did have a spiritual connection to God. Yeah. Okay, it might not have been as, as positive uh, later on, but it started pretty well. And, um, and so they did have a spiritual connection. They did have a heartland of very good um, agriculture. So today, if you happen to visit Israel and you happen to go to Shiloh, which is in Ephraim, um, there are fantastic vineyards. And um, pick up any bottle of wine, you'll pay for it. But it'll taste really good, okay? Um, and, uh, and they also had the monarchy for, for most of uh, the north. Um, okay. Zebulon and Issachar. Issachar I really like. Um, only because of his name. Um, but he, does, he has a really cool name and he gets like one sentence. Okay, which is a bit of a shame. So of Zebulon, it is said, Rejoice, Zebulon, in your going out and Issachar in your tents. They shall be peoples to their mountain. There they offer the right sacrifices. They show, where they draw upon the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. Zebulon and Issachar are linked together. Any idea why that would be? I happen to like the name Issachar. If I had had another son, I would have called him that. Because um, Yesh Sachar, there is a reward, which I think is a really cool name to give to give someone. It's a very prophetic uh, name. Okay. Well, Nehemiah Gordon gives an analysis of this relationship about how... Um, it can be applied today as people who are in ministry and those supporting the ministry. So when he asks for help to, to support his ministry, he's like, please enter into in this Sebulon Issachar relationship with me where he does the investigation and the studying and stuff like that. And I guess the supporters, mm. be it by you prayer or... Yep. You're hitting on, yeah. a, on a Jewish exegetical tradition. I know Nehemiah Gordon is too, but, but um, you're getting it uh, right, uh, Bernardo. Well, it's it says, like nomads, right? Yep. Kind of well, like it, gives it, you it, a it says Zebulon goes out and yeah. Issachar's in the tent. So somebody goes outside and does <clears> something <throat> and someone stays inside and does something. 
So <laughs> put your Jewish caps on. Everybody try and put your Jewish keepers on and think, if you're staying inside a building, what are you busy doing? And the answer is? Try not to get COVID. Fair enough. That's exactly what you're trying to do. <laughs> you're engaging in, in um, uh, social distancing, doing a fantastic job. Good. <laughs> but we we have talked about it. Do you want me to say something about it? Are you going to say yeah, something? Yeah, please about go, it? go, Modi, Mordecai, go. So here's the thing: uh, Issachar was supposed to sit in their tents and study Torah, but Issachar's area is by the sea. You know, uh, the balloon doesn't have it. So, but here it says, we are reading that, right? Yep. Okay, so here it says in Rashi, Zebulun would dwell at the seashore and go out in ships to trade and make profits. He would thereby pro provide food for Issachar, and Issachar would sit and occupy themselves with the study of Torah. So basically, they are like co-partners or like companions, comrades. So Issachar sits like as it is today, they sit at Yeshua, and... The balloon goes and, I don't know, fishes and goes and trades and brings full treasury and shares with them. But Issachar shares their uh, territory with Issachar. Yep. So, so like Nehemiah, Nehemiah and Bernardo and uh, those other guys and Mordecai, they've all got this, the, 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 the idea that um, Issachar, because he's in the tent. Why is he in the tent? Because he's occupied with the study of Torah. But, of course, he needs support, and his friend supports him, who happens to be very good at it. Unfortunately, Zebulon is a landlocked territory, which is really bizarre because their sigil is a boat, and which is bizarre because their territory is nowhere near the sea. And you think, why, why? But, but his, his, his Issachar is by the sea, and he says, listen, you, you, can, you can go. Come through my territory, build your ships, Go, go make your profit. You're really good at it. I'm not so good at it, but I'm really good at studying Bible. Uh, and they worked together. And so there is a partnership, yes. and, uh, which we all know also in the, in the New Covenant. You know, there are those that sow and there are those that supply seed to the sower. Mm -hmm. And we have to have both. You have to have both. And it, it applies to today also, too. You know? Here are people who studies and teaches the Torah, the Brit Hadashah, and there are people uh, who provides for them, right? Who supports right. them. So it's exactly the same thing. It never Correct. changes. Yeah. And, and who's cooking in the tent? <laughs> Studying Torah won't, won't produce the bread. <laughs> oh, you're going to die. <laughs> Careful, man. Your <laughs> wife. Between, I, I, between with Jacob and Esau too. Like yeah, one was, stayed in the tent, one say, was a hunter. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Jacob Martha and Miriam. Correct. One is cooking. One is just listening to Yeshua. Yes, this is true. This is true. We also have the Zebulun and Issachar. They 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 sit on the same camp. They in the same camp settlement with Judah around the Mishkan while they were moving. So we have Judah, and then we have Zebulon and Issachar, they're all together, I think, in the east, on the east side of the, of the Mishkan. So uh, I think they mentioned um, Judah, then, of course, 
it's, it's good to mention Issachar and Zebulon together. It couldn't have been any other tribe anyway, because they were together. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that they somehow developed a close, um, quite a close relationship, and it ended up working quite well. Okay, God's next. God is one of the other guys on top of the Jordan, and his blessing is that he crouches like a lion. Uh, he enlarges his territory, although eventually it is one of the first to be taken away. Uh, he chooses the best of the land for himself. That might not be a blessing as opposed to just a fact. Um, and there he he get there a commander's portion was reserved. Uh, they wanted the land for their cattle, and uh, Moshe agreed. He came with the heads of the people. With Israel, he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. Um, one of the uh, uh, conditions that God and Rovain have for, for getting the territory of the Jordan is they have to be the first into battle. Um, they have to be the, the, the vanguard. And they agreed to that. And um, apparently they were quite good at it. Um, so during the invasion, uh, Joshua leads a lot of warriors from uh, God and Rovain. Dan gets a mention. You know, Dan is often, you know, the, the bad boy. But um, he gets a mention here. And uh, he is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan, which is uh, an interesting phrase. Why? What's so interesting about this one sentence? Where's Bashan? Well, first of all, it's a lion. Uh, Judah doesn't get called a lion. Dan and Gad do, uh, or a lion's whelp, the, the small lion. Where's Bashan? Anyone know? Northeast Trump Trump territory. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's it. Trump territory. Yeah, we got a little Trump drill. What's yeah. the What's the redactor problem with that? That wasn't the territory Moshe gave them. Yeah, you're talking about Dan. Yeah, Dan was supposed to be Tel Aviv. Yeah. Here, yeah. he's talking about the north. So whoever's redacting this final, this final speech of Moses is, knows that Dan has not taken his territory and has gone north. Now, of course, if you're a purist, you could say this is prophetic, but it's, it's okay to have a redactor. The Torah does show that there's, there's an, an editor's come along and gone, um, you know, and changed a few sentences. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's not the Bible, okay? Like like Abraham goes from Dan to Beersheba. Well, that's not physically possible because Dan wasn't invented then, uh, hadn't been born. But an editor comes along and goes, well, we don't know what this, this word is, so we'll rub that out and we'll put in Dan because that's what we know is Dan. Abraham still moves from there, but now we know it is Dan. And even though... Tel Aviv was meant to be Dan's. It is not. Dan is in the north. That is Dan. And you can go there. It's called Dan. Even to this day, it is called Dan. And no one tells Tel Aviv and thinks that that's Dan. They don't. Dan they got is a good spot, yeah. They got a nice little spot up there, huh? <laughs> it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's pretty. Okay. It, it might, they might not have done so well. We get it. Okay, but um, but they are still a tribe, and in the book of Ezekiel, 
they are still mentioned in, in, in prophecy. Okay. Yes, and in fact, you can, if you visit Israel, you can go to the north and visit Tel Dan, and you can, you can see these uh, sweet water streams coming from their land. It still exists, and it's by Kiryat Shimona, it's all the way to the north. So you Lots can go and visit things. it. Lots of things. I've been there twice. It's, it's well worth it. Okay, yeah. Naftali. Naftali is near um, the border of what present-day Lebanon. Um, mm -hmm. It's also a very beautiful spot. Uh, Naftali is sated with favor, full of blessing of the Lord. He possesses the lake and the south. Okay, so he gets all the way down to the uh, northern part of the Galilee. Um, it's very fertile. He has a, a lovely, lovely spot. Notice that a lot of these blessings relate to how fertile the earth is. Okay. There's, a, there's a few blessings in terms of um, trade, but, but the majority in the ancient world concerned the land, which we don't value as much anymore, which is a shame because, honestly, that is where all our food does come from. And, uh, and, and the, the farmers still rely on the rain from heaven. Uh, or, you know, out of all of our technology... We can bring water, we can build desalination plants, but at the end of the day, we still want the sun to shine and we still want the rain to fall. And uh, that comes as a blessing from God. So, so Ash, sorry? Before the, I'm sorry, Aaron. Um, it, before it was, it was the, it was the, um, it was the, you know, it was the water from below and the, um, and, and yep. the, and the, and, and the lechem, whatever the, uh, Oh gosh, the, the, those balls! I forgot what it's called. Um, when they were in the desert. Oh my gosh. Um, the mana. Yeah, so mana. So the mana. The mana was from the heaven, and the waters from below. And then there was an inversion. The waters now are from the heaven, and the, and the bread comes from below. From the yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, so Asher, joy. Okay, he is most blessed of the sons be Asher. Now, that's a very, that's a wonderful statement. Um, let him be the favorite of his brothers. And let him dip his foot in oil. Now, that's olive oil, not uh, the black gold, because we ain't got none of that. Um, okay, that was uh, Golda Meir's uh, famous statement. Why would Moses wander the people through Israel and take us to the only spot of the Middle East without oil. I mean, that really is just not fair. But um, we have the blessings of the earth. And, um, and he's a favorite. Why would that be? Can I say? Yeah. Well, in Rashi Sefri 33 says, among all the tribes, you will not find one that is blessed with Sons as Asher was, this is the first thing, They're, his sons were, were good people. And he will be pleasing to his brothers. Basically, here in the explanation, it says, because the women who came from Asher were beautiful and they used to uh, marry with Kohan, Kohans and kings. So I think that's what pleased them that much, pleased them. Okay. <laughs> this is the oral explanation of it. I yeah, live in the territory of Asher. I never seen that beautiful girls. Let's see. 
Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. But, but, but it's, the, the verse is there. They are blessed. So you have to exegete it. And so somebody has to say something. And, um, and, and you can say whatever you like, but at the end of the day, we still, we still, we still come to this blessing of Moshe when he yes. gives to this tribe. They get blessed. They are of some somehow, um, and they are the blessed of, mo- of all the sons. We often like to read history backwards. We like to say, no, Judah's the best because they get Mashiach. Well, fine, but Levi gets the Torah. That's important too. Issachar studied the Torah. That's very important. Zebulon raised money so Issachar could study the Torah. That's very important. You know, it's all, it's all very important. We can't um, just sort of separate one from another as, as, you, as, as the... That, uh, as Paul says, some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are noses. We're all working together. Um, but it, it, Asher gets this this blessing, um, as well as as having um, a good land with oil. In, in verse twenty five, your bars will be iron and bronze in your days, uh, and as your days, so shall your strength be. They guard the north. Okay. The north is often an encroachment for enemies. So Asher had to have a strong army too. And uh, so when the invasions first came, they were often at the forefront. And uh, so they had to fortify their territory and defend the north. And there is none like then gets the, um, the, the final um, praise of God. There is no one like God. Okay. Who is like God? O Jeshurun. And, and again, that um, look at Israel as the upright man, even though he wasn't always going to be upright. But that was his ideal. Okay. The ideal to be upright before God. God rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. That's um, very poetic and very reminiscent of the way ancient peoples viewed God. That uh, they would they would ride on chariots through heavens, through the skies, like lightning and thunder, and some of that poetry is also found in songs of in Hebrew songs. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are His everlasting arms. Okay, and so, um, which is an interesting way to describe that heaven doesn't contain God. What does God, what, who dwells, what is, what is the nature of God? God is our dwelling place, right? There's a, that's a big difference between God lives in heaven and he's separate from us as opposed to we're in this incredible relationship where God himself is our dwelling place. That's actually quite a nice way of flipping um, an ancient way of understanding the Lord. Um, he has thrust out his enemies before you and said, destroy. That was always one nature of every, every people's God. He was always going to destroy their enemies. The thing about our God, the true God, is he actually did do that. Okay? He had destroyed the Egyptians and, um, and, uh, and the next enemies that were about to come, which would have been Canaan. He'd also destroyed Sichon, Og, and Amalek. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone. This 
seems future and looks like, again, the redactor, looks like we've, we've gone into the land and have now actually secured it. Um, a land of grain and wine where the heavens drop down, down dew. The, the promised land is a beautiful land that produces uh, uh, an abundance. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. So there are, there are two phrases there. One is who is like God or no one. And because we're in a relationship with God, the extension who is like you becomes part of us. Who is like you? A people who serves the Lord. Oh, my gosh. What, there are people who don't serve the Lord. What do they look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what does it look like for cultures to abandon the Lord and, 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 and embrace secularism and think of themselves as gods and change their laws and change biology and stuff? Whereas um, happy are you, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? It is a good thing to be redeemed of God. It is a blessing to have the Lord come and fight for you. It is a delight for the Lord to say, hey, you need someone to dwell in? Come come dwell in me. There's no one else up here but me, and it's going to be a a good thing. Uh, He's a shield in, in verse 29. He's a sword. So he's both a defense and uh, uh, an attack. As we say, um, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Can I say something about this? Yes. Briefly. So here is really interesting. I think you, most of you probably have noticed that. It says, all people whose salvation is through the Lord. He doesn't say it was through the Lord, you know. Uh, present tense. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't talk about the salvation that, you know, God redeemed them from the Egypt, the land of Egypt. In that sense, he would say, Your salvation was through the Lord. But here it says, Your salvation is through the Lord. He's talking about some presence and future sense, yeah. you know. Moshe was a wise man. He saw many things. And Yeshua also, who wrote this, was. Uh, uh, wise man, and you know, yep. it's very interesting. The it's salvation, really you know, yeah, right. but which salvation is this? My salvation is from the Lord, but which one? The one that He redeemed me from Egypt, or what? Nobody asks this question, I don't know why. Yeah, but, it's a good, it's a good question, Mordecai. It's present tense. God is yeah. continually in the saving business, and we understand the salvation is now messianic because yeah. now there's a messiah. Which is great. Yeah, you can see Jesus' name here, you know? Yeah. I'm Nosha Be'adunai. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> something, very, something very interesting as well. Um, you know, those two in, in verse, um, let me see in the Bible, in verse 27 and 28, he drives out the enemies and he dwells with Israel. Mm-hmm. And the only other time in the Bible that you have those two um, it's like Vayegaresh and Vayish Khan and Vayegaresh and Vayish Ken or whatever. It's, it's driving. There's another driving out. There's another dwelling or stationing, which is in, um, in the, in, in, at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. So it's interesting because they were supposed to be in the garden, in the presence of the Lord all of the time. He drove out Adam and he stationed. The, so who is dwelling? So as they are being banished, the Cherubim are stationed in there. And it's interesting because it's like a return to Eden. Now you've got God 
thrusting out, you know, now he's driving out, not he's, he's not driving out Adam, but he's actually driving out the enemies. And who is Vaishkan or who's, who's dwelling now is going to be Israel. So it's very interesting when, you know, Adam's expulsion or his banishment from the garden, now Israel's entering the, the land. So it's like closing circle. It's like returning back to the garden, which was, which what was the, it, that was the initial plan of God in the first place. So it's yeah. very interesting as we're closing Deuteronomy, he's bringing us back to the garden. I love that. Just like at the book of Revelation, he's bringing us back. The book, you know, the bookends of the Torah, bringing us back to the garden. And the bookends of the whole Bible is bringing us into a new heavens and a new earth. And I love that. It's just amazing. Abraham Heschel, does anyone know who this man is? Mm-hmm. Okay, he wrote a very, uh, a very good book, it might not be a very famous book, but it's a very good book called God in Search of Man, mm-hmm. where he, he, mentioned, he notes a lot of the themes you were saying that God always wanted to dwell with man, that's why he made him, right? And, um, and then when he, when he had to kick him out of the garden, of course, that was divine punishment, but then God immediately turned around and said, I better go in search for him. Mm-hmm. And, and God has always been wandering with man, wanting to always dwell with man. So you end up with those themes. God is in Egypt. God comes out of Egypt with his people. He meets his people at Mount Sinai. He says, I build me a tabernacle so I can dwell with you. I'm so powerful, come and dwell with me. You know, this very strong, constant sense of God always dwelling. And then eventually Yeshua says, where two or three are gathered in my name, guess where I am? You know, um, we, we, uh, we've, it, even though we kicked you out of the garden, we get it, that, that it was never the intention and we're coming after you. And, uh, and that's actually such a good story, such a delight. And even though Abraham Eshel is not a believer, as we might know it, um, he had a very deep sense of how much God actually loved his creation and constantly uh, sought after him. And, and that's reflected in the gospel, for God so loved the world, you know, that, um, that he, he comes. And it's and well, I just wanted to finish by saying that these final blessings um, might not always be. Remember, these are ancient. We don't always understand what the heck he's trying to say. It's poetry. It's prophetic. It's packed with um, history, sacred history. It's, uh, it's all of these things and, and more. Um, but these are blessings, and while they may have been and most likely were redacted by Joshua after they had uh, finally settled in and he finally got it all written down and recorded the death of Moses and blah, blah, blah. Um, they are still very, very real even to this day, written, as, as, as Mordecai noted, many times in present tense, and that uh, they are the sacred history of the Jewish people, but also as believers in the God of Israel, we find ourselves in these blessings too. Mm-hmm. And um, just like we've found ourselves in these words of Moses when he's been telling us to write these Torah on our hearts, um, we find these blessings uh, in, in, in our lives to this day. And that's actually quite a very strong, a powerful thing, particularly yeah. if you want to dwell with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, just a thought too, Aaron, because even like that it's rooted in the culture, right? So this little footnote on verse 24, Asher, the request is that this tribe would experience abundant fertility and prosperity depicted by reference to a foot-operated oil press, 
shoes of hard metal suited both country people and soldiers. So like the concepts of how they would relate in the culture at the time, if there was these actual, you know, foot operated oil presses that maybe that relates to how he's bathing his feet in oil in prosperity and, you know, an abundant supply of oil kind of thing. Eh? Sure. It's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Also to artists, that's this one of the longest birthday ever celebrated by any man. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this was Moses' uh, one and twenty years birthday, and he had to say all this. He has to instruct the people. He has to bless the people. He has to warn the people. I mean, he did so. He did so much for for a birthday. I mean, it's I and then and then he has to go climb a mountain. <laughs> I mean, not even over it. Like, what are you gonna do for the rest of your day, mate? Oh, I'm gonna go leg it up there. <laughs> You coming back? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And the whole, you know, about just, you know, God always, of course, wanting to be in our presence. And he says that in Leviticus, if we walk in his statutes and his commandments, and he will give us rain, blah, 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 and I will walk among you. So um, be your God and you shall be my people, present tense. And um, there is a, an observation to obeying his word. Okay. All right, guys, I'm going to um, stop the recording there. Thank you very much for wrestling with uh, our chapter 33. We are essentially at the end. There's not much more. Uh, next week, we will just finish it off and we'll do a summary. We'll do an overview. We will go through a lot of the themes that we've talked about in the last year, highlighting some of the things that Moses has said and some of the things he has not said, some of the things that struck us as um, powerful that applied to our lives, some other things that were quite mysterious and we're still wrestling with and not quite understanding why he even said it in the first place. Um, but, uh, but, but, and how this, this, this book was the most popular one in the Second Temple period and, and the most quoted in the New Testament it becomes foundational for our walk uh, with the Lord. So that's what we'll do um, next week. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.